This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with Ben Hansen. He is a former federal special agent and he is a paranormal investigator. And I have a, a friend who is just obsessed with the paranormal investigations. And he watched yesterday UFO Witness and he said it's unbelievable. He said he didn't want to spoil it, but I'm watching it later today. Uh, so <laughs> I'll ask Ben not to spoil it. But he said what the work Ben Hansen did is just unbelievable. He said he's uh, it, in his mind he's the best in the business. Ben Hansen, how are you? Well, thank you. I, I, I feel like I've got a reputation to live up to now. <laughs> I'm doing good. Well, listen, people could see it for themselves. Discovery Plus, right? The streaming service, and uh, they could see the first yeah. three episodes at least. First three episodes are on there. They did show um, one episode on the Travel Channel um, last night. But uh, the three episodes, and then every week they're releasing a new episode on uh, Discovery Plus app. Well, listen, this is exciting. I mean, for you going into it and knowing what you, and again, it's exciting for a new series always, but uh, your expectations for what you were walking into and the reality, and again, without spoiling, um, how much different was the reality from uh, the expectations? Well, um, to start with, the the cases that we start um, exploring is really retracing the steps of J. Allen Hynek, who was uh, Project Blue Book, you know, the Air Force's official uh, investigation of UFOs from the 50s and 60s. And um, at first I thought, you know, I, I don't know what else, you know, that you could dig up as far as uh, the investigations he did. And I was really surprised because, um, new witnesses are now willing to come forward and talk about it. And there's still some evidence, you know, in, in a couple of these cases that haven't been properly analyzed. And then when we compare them to the modern day sightings, that's the big, I think, reveal for me was that um, these patterns, you know, we think that some of our, our modern sightings are brand new and that they're, you know, this has never happened before. But when you go back and you look at some of these hidden cases that, we're just now getting the archives of like, wow, you know, this, this has been happening for a while. And is this, is this the same phenomena? Like, what does it mean? Well, let me ask you to give us a little bit of your history and start with the, what did you do for the federal government? So I worked for a few agencies. Um, the FBI was uh, one of the, the last ones that most people focus on because the X-Files connection. But yeah. I wasn't doing X-Files there. Um, my my uh, primary background from in was investigating child sex crimes. So it's kind of a, a conversation killer when I was at parties, you know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, you know oh that's very sad. 
Wow. You know? Yeah. So. You, listen, you're not kidding. You, you talk, listen, you're, you're into something, uh, you know, much more uh, enjoyable, much lighter. And that's uh, that's strange to say when you're when you're chasing down UFO witnesses and, <laughs> and everything else. But uh, yeah, well, listen, uh, we appreciate the work you did on that. That's important work. Well, thank uh, you. In the in the past. But look, let me also. Oh, go ahead. You were going to say something. I was going to say, it, it is strange, but um, because I interviewed thousands of, of witnesses and victims of horrible crimes, right? But when I'm talking to these um, witnesses that, who claim they've been abducted, there are some similarities. And I think because of my background in that, when, when I can feel the genuineness and see the trauma caused, it's very similar, and it really lends to me believing these these people because that is kind of uh, difficult to fake you know and so um imagine the impact that this has had on some of these people's lives uh, can be like being a victim of a crime you mentioned the term uh, x-files uh it's my understanding that you were an x-files fan or fanatic even uh, growing up is that true that is true, and and I joke about it because um, it, it was high school when it was really popular for me, and and uh, my initial interest um, in joining the bureau came from the X Files, and uh, I knew it didn't exist, but and, and and that's not why I went into it, but it, it's kind of funny because um, it's uh, one of those things that if you do go look at the records, the um, FBI in particular has been involved since the 40s in, in various ways in UFO investigations. Let me just say this, and I, I mean, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. When you look in the sky, I mean, there are billions upon billions upon billions of stars. And there are some who believe that there are 20 percent of those stars have uh, have some kind of planet orbiting them. The chances that somewhere or another, right, there's not the Goldilocks, um, uh, you know, syndrome where, you know, they're the perfect distance from that sun, from that star to uh, produce life. I mean, it would be ridiculous for me to believe that there's no other life out there in the universe. Now, whether it's here or not, you know, that's what you're investigating and what, what others are doing. But to, to me, to think that we are the only human type life form or this kind of life form in the universe, in, in everything out there uh is is just would be the the height of arrogance for us to believe that so i mean it, it the question is how do they get here i mean is it trajectory is it this is, is that part of your uh, your questioning when you when you get to these folks do you ask them uh do they give you any indication do you know anybody give you any indication of how somebody would get here well, a lot of these um, abductees do claim to have that, um, you know, kind of personal communication where they've been told. Take, for example, the Betty Barney Hill case, which was uh, a famous case, um, you know, in the uh, 60s. And they believed that, um, well, when we were taken aboard this ship, that they were kind of given, um, Betty was given a star chart, right? And the... Um, the extraterrestrials explained her where they came from and how they got there basically. But, um, I'm kind of more in the, the mind frame of, I agree with you, uh, our understanding of traveling, you know, light speed to get somewhere would take a long, long time. 
And I'm not opposed to having an open mind that perhaps we're dealing with something else, um, maybe interdimensional. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but look at what science is now talking about quantum physics and the existence of possibly, you know, dozens or infinite number of, of dimensions. And so what does that mean? Well, it could mean that they are here and they occupy the same physical space as we do but they kind of travel in and out of a a dimension we can't always see. So would that require traveling, you know, that amount of distance or not, you know, so anything's possible. Um, and it's not so weird to discuss anymore because science is, is actually coming up with theories and testing them that that seem to uh, support that. Look, if we've learned anything as a society, it's to uh, to to suspend belief uh, until we have all the all the facts and everything else. But I no, listen, I'm not going to second guess anything, and uh, I, I you know, I'm not going to be shocked. I mean, I'll, I'm sure I will be one day uh, when when we find out that something uh, bigger is going on or something different than we uh, than we've been taught is going on. Let, let me ask you in closing. I know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you, but let me just ask in closing roswell and area 51 i mean is there do you have anything you know i guess quickly as an explanation or a thought theory and i you know i don't even know i mean you're you're a former uh, you know federal you know, you're with the fbi i don't know if you're allowed to say but do you have a theory on either one <laughs> um yeah ever since i was a kid i wanted to go to area 51 and and it kind of became this they, they call it dreamland for a reason right because anything and everything has been alleged to happen there. And that's the problem, right? Um, if uh, you take Bob Lazar, who was kind of the, the prime, uh, you know, instigator of the story and back and forth on him, you know, like, do I believe him or don't I believe him? And, you know, the, the truth is that, yeah, it's our most top secret, um, you know, aircraft have been tested there. And not even President Clinton could get to the bottom of it, yeah. right? So I, I do believe that we've tested um, possibly reverse-engineered craft uh, at Area 51, and, and that uh, tying in Roswell to it, I would I would give a 90, 95% probability that what crashed and happened in Roswell was extraterrestrial. And um, because a number of things, but a lot of that debris was taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I have a family connection there where my grandfather worked um, underground, you know, in, in dealing with, with uh, I believe, some of the, um, I guess, the the fallout from, from that event and others that happened. So, I mean, I can talk for hours about this stuff, but to answer your question, yeah, I, I do think there's something to it. And um, that, that kind of started this truth embargo that we've had been for decades the government, you know, not telling us what they really know. And so hopefully we'll, we'll see some of that change soon. Now listen, I wish I had hours or you had hours to talk. I could talk to you for hours. Uh, ben Hansen, congratulations on the new series. And by the way, one thing for sure with Roswell, we know there it wasn't about a weather balloon. There's no question about that. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. UFO witness, congratulations on it. Uh, from what I'm hearing, it is it is just top notch. And congratulations on on the new show. Can't wait to watch it myself. Awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, a website, social media. Oh, I didn't get him in time, but uh, I, you know, you could, you could look him up. Ben Hansen is his name. He's the host of a new series, UFO Witness, and uh, he's a former federal 
special agent, FBI, and you heard the work that he did there. And I, just a quick uh, thought on Area 51. I've been there many times. When I say I've been there many times, I've, uh, I have I go as far as you could possibly go. There's a gate that stops you, and everybody's seen that gate on the Internet. And, you know, I was right up to it, but I bring different folks there. Usually when I'm in Vegas or somewhere along the lines, and it's, it's a couple of hours, a two-and-a-half-hour ride from Vegas, but it's nothingness. And it's a place called Rachel, uh, Rachel, uh, Nevada, that uh, that you go to there. And uh, it's just uh, it's an unbelievable um, experience simply because of this, simply because of this. The uh, there's one place that you can go and it's called the Ailey Inn. The alien, an old woman owns it, and I, I should have her name by now, and her, her family runs it. But Rachel is a town in Nevada, closest to you know Area 51, that has 56 people, I think, living in it. And they all come together, and they go to the Alien. It's a it's a restaurant bar. It's really a bar, is what it is. And they have some they have some uh, food, and they sell alien propaganda. You know, like uh, you know, <laughs> blown up aliens. But it, it's so fascinating there just to talk to the different people that travel there as a tourist spot, like I do. You know, like I go there. And it's just, I, I want to bring a camera in one day and just interview all the different people that you meet there and all the different theories that you have. That in itself, forget about anything that's supposed to be at Area 51 or not, but just to go there and talk to the different people. And some people traveled, <laughs> you know, uh, all all across the world to go to this one bar, Alien, it's called, the Alien. And I, I don't know, maybe I've been there five or six times. Uh, every time a friend of mine is uh, in Vegas and I'm not a big gamer. And I'll say, hey, you want to take a ride? And we'll go, you know, uh, again, you know, about two and a half hours outside of uh, Vegas in a town called Rachel. And um, the alien is the name of the place. Ben Hansen has been our very special new series uh, for him and, and for all of us, I guess, is UFO Witness. Check it out. I from people who are into this. Um, I, I heard great things about it, but Ben Hansen is the, the host. He's the paranormal investigator attached to it. Discovery Plus streaming services has uh, uh, the first few episodes and check it out and you can see what's going on on Travel Channel. Ben Hansen has been our very special guest. New series is called UFO Witness. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Charlene Polk is our very special guest. And we've had her before. And I told everybody it was going to be a great series. And I was right. Uh, they're in the midst of their second series on Oxygen True Crimes, 911, Crisis Center, and uh, and coming up, 
uh, tomorrow. Actually, you could uh, you could watch this. Uh, new episodes start airing uh, 9 p.m. and uh, and again. It's uh, it's it's just a must watch. Everyone's got to, uh, everyone's got to get on this, and uh, you, you, uh, you know, look if if you're into true crime, uh, you're you're gonna hear from today. You're gonna hear from the mama bear, of the uh, of of the unit there, and she makes everything go. Without her, forget it. Lives would be different. Lives would be changed. But everyone must check this out. The second season. Again, True Crimes 911 Crisis Center. Charlene Pulp, how are you? I'm all right, Frank. How are you? I'm doing great. Can you uh, can you give us a, a little overview of what we'll be seeing in the second season? Sure. You're going to see uh, more of the adventurous things you saw last season, but a little bit more intense, um, you know, as the weather change and it gets warmer. Um uh, you know, time goes on and, and calls get more severe, crime gets more deadlier. So this season kind of heightens the situation even more. Um, the film crew was there a little longer than they were last time, so you really get to see some good stuff coming through. Charlene, after the first season's success and, you know, when the shows started airing and more and more people, were people calling you to try to get, to try to get on, uh, to try to figure out how to get themselves on to get their 15 minutes of fame? Um, I had more so, uh, we've had more so people calling just thanking us for what we do because they didn't realize exactly what we did in detail. We had so much positive uh, feedback until it was just mind-blowing. It was overwhelming because people really... I had some lady call up from Florida just to say, hey, I want to meet that Charlene and just let her know that she is the sweetest person. You know, everybody calls in and have their favorite, what they call us characters now. Yeah. And it's just an honor and a good feeling to know that people saw this show and actually appreciate the 911 dispatcher now. Yeah, I, I think you guys shine there, and I think people, or I, I know people who are 911 uh, dispatchers around here, around my area, and they love you guys because you're you're putting a face to the voice that people just hear. Right. I, you guys are heroic figures, and people all over the country, I guess all over the world, right, uh, do what you do, and... Uh -huh. And somehow uh, they don't they don't get the appreciation. All of a sudden, now you guys have given it. It's got to be a good feeling. It's an awesome feeling, and I can't thank Oxygen enough for sitting back and saying, "Hey, this needs to be seen." And again, it's a more great you know gives the the, the watchers and the people of the world a more in depth you know, understanding of what we do so they can appreciate us more, so they can understand exactly what we do. So when you call 911, it's just not you talking to some dumb person on the other line that you want to get help from that's asking you all these questions. You now know why we ask the questions. You know what happens while we're asking you the questions. So I, I can't thank Oxygen enough for giving us this opportunity. Charlene, I... As far as like the wasted calls, you know, people calling and it turns out to be nothing. And again, I guess, you know, maybe in a sense it's better that than, uh, than uh, uh, you know, uh, not uh, calling and something uh, terrible happens. But uh, how many, what percentage of the calls that you get uh, are, aren't real emergencies and, uh, and could have been handled in some other way? If I had to say out of 100, I would say about 20%. 
20% of the calls. Wow. That's too high. Which is not bad. Yeah. Well, I guess... I guess It so. is, but... Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you, twenty percent of a lie. We do we do get um, non you know life threatening calls that come over nine one one. But if I had to pick a percentage, I would say twenty percent. Is there a three one one system or an eight one one system in most places? And uh, you know, certainly you you could speak to around your area. What is it? A three one one where where less um, uh, less urgent calls are urged to go to. We just have different main lines, like if you Google any of our local police departments, because my particular uh, dispatch center, we have 17 different police, EMS, and fire departments. So you can actually Google the name of the police department, and it'll give you the non-emergency numbers. So that's basically what we, you know, the non-life-threatening calls come through. So it's just a, excuse me, it's just a main number that comes, that you can look up. Charlene, what's the biggest um, surprise to you that uh, that has occurred during the uh, the first, you know, the the airing of the first uh, season and and now the shooting of the the second season? Uh, what's the biggest surprise that you didn't expect to to happen? And and I mean, you could tell me big picture, or you could tell me small picture. Uh, any real surprises of what you were expecting uh, it to go like and and how it ultimately went? Um, to see, I actually, when I first watched the first episode, I wanted to be the person that I was watching. And it was like, hey, silly girl, that is you. It's, it was an outer body, outer body experience for me to see myself actually working. I don't get to see, of course, myself the way the world got a chance to see me. So it was totally different seeing what I really do. It gave me the wake-up call, like, hey, that's you doing what you do. To me, it's just everyday work. But to look, you know, be on the outside looking in, I'd have had a whole new respect for myself, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It does. It makes complete sense. And you should be proud of what you do and, and your colleagues as well. Uh, let me just ask you for folks that are watching you. And, and I, I've got to believe there's thousands of people uh, now that want to do what you do because of, of watching you or like certainly hundreds of people. Uh, what, what type of personality uh, do you need to uh, to have to to handle this job effectively? You have to be sensitive, you have to be strong, you have to be nosy, you have to have that drive to want to help. If you don't have the, the drive to want to help, don't even try it because it's not for you. So you got to be able to stomach the hard situation, laugh at the funny situation, be you know professional and serious when it's time to be, and 100% you have to be nosy. You have to be nosy because there's questions to be asked to get to the bottom of everything. Oh, great. Listen, keep up the great work. Congratulations to you and your whole crew there. You're the mama bear, that's for sure. And uh, and uh, okay, you, you've done a great job. Uh, can you can you give us a website or a social media site that you that you have uh, if you follow along with such stuff and where we could follow along with you? Um, I don't in particular have uh, a website, but uh, Chagrin Valley Dispatch has a. Facebook page where they give you all the updated information that's going on with us, what's new, what's old, outcomes of different calls. So if you're on Facebook, Chagrin Valley Dispatch has a page that you can follow and you can keep up with the growth of our dispatch center and what we're doing now. Charlene Polk, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me again, Frank, and you take care. Thank you. Charlene Polk, she's absolutely terrific. At what she does, if you see her in, in action, she's uh, 
you know, she's human, you know, and and that's a that's a big part. I you know, I've called up different uh different 911 operators in uh, in the past and have gotten good, you know, good solid people. I, I remember one time um not that long ago, maybe it was a year ago, it was uh, it was early in the morning and I was driving and I saw this uh I saw this kid uh on a uh, on a motorcycle and he's turning on to Long Island Expressway and if you're not from this area, that's a major road, a federal road, right, 495. And he was turning onto the service road, and he hit a curve, uh, a curb, and and he fell off the bike. The bike flipped, and he was going. He was going pretty fast. He was a young guy, you know, twenty years old, maybe eighteen years old, something like that. And uh, and and it, he spilled. I immediately pulled over, and I called nine one one, and I uh, and I got uh, you know I got them on the phone, and he came running over, and he's saying, "Please don't call, please don't call the cops. I'm fine, I'm fine. Please don't call the cops." And, and I said, uh, I, and, "And the woman on there could hear what's going on," and I said, "Yeah, I said, Are you okay? You sure? You need a?" You know, I said, "I don't know if you should be walking. Anything hurting you?" And uh, and I'm saying, what should I say to? And and he's saying, please just hang up. Don't don't call nine one one. And I said, all right, don't worry, I won't. And and he jumped on his on his bike and he took off. And so I told her where it was, but she was she was following what was going on. And she said, all right. She said, I'll I'll you know give uh, an officer in the area um, the idea uh, you know like what happened here just in case he sees something up. And she said, "What what direction was he going in?" I said, "He was going west, and he was on the service road getting on there." And um, anyway, I, I I thought she handled it uh, in a human way, and uh, you know, some people could have been like, "No, tell him to stay there. Cops come in, and you know, is he this? He's, uh, you know, I I don't know what it was. I don't have a breathalyzer, and I'm not there to check the guy, you know, see if he's um, capable of of doing that. It, it just he took a nasty nasty fall. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, who knows? He just didn't want to deal with the cops for uh, for whatever reason. And uh, it, it just went. But, I, you know, and, you know, there's been different times where I've called 911. I've seen kids like in the middle of the night, uh, you know, or early in the morning, let's say, like walking around like little kids. And, you know, I gave, uh, um, you know, gave 911 a call for things like that. But they're, you know, they're important. They're important to the system. And, um Hey, look, 911 Crisis Center is uh, is in their second season, and it's Oxygen True Crime, and uh, True Crimes, I should say, plural. Uh, Frank McKay here. Charlene Polk has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He's breaking it down, so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone. To breaking it down, Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Lord John Stevens is our very special guest, and our subject are uh, the D- Diana investigations and um, 
coming up in the next couple of days. You'll be able to uh, to stream it, to watch it. Uh, Discovery Plus is where you're seeing it, and so much interest uh, has been on uh, you know the the death of uh, Princess Diana all of these years. And who better to talk to than a man who's got a resume a mile long and is just unquestionably one of the one of the experts in, in law enforcement that you'll you'll ever come across. Lord Stevens, how are you? Very well, and thanks for that introduction, Frank. Oh, listen, I'm thrilled to have you. And if you can give us a give us a little overview on what we're about to see in a couple of days, and of course, without spoiling, I don't have to tell you that, but without spoiling, uh, what we're going to see, if you can give us a little uh, little history or a little overview of it. Sure, it's it's an unprecedented program, and for the first time ever, we've. Uh allowed uh, the investigators, not just me, to talk about it, who did the actual job. The French uh, Brigade Criminal, which is a national anti-terrorist group over in France, have done the same thing. It's about the death of Princess Diana Dodi Al-Fayed and Henri Paul, the driver of the car. And of course, it's also about the person who's the bodyguard, Trevor Rhys-Jones, who survived the crash in the armor tunnel in Paris on the 31st of August 1997. What happened then was a very long investigation by the French Brigade Criminal. Um, and then I got involved as uh, Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, head of Scotland Yard, in January 2004, which is a long time afterwards, when the Royal Coroner opened the inquest into the death of particularly Princess Diana and Dodie. Um, and then from then on, we had a team of 16 people working full time to do our investigations, which lasted three years to come to uh, look at every single aspect. There were 104 allegations of conspiracy to murder. We had to bring the car back from Paris, have it examined. The allegations were incredibly serious, and they were this. And the father of uh, Dodi Al-Fayed, Mohammed al had made the following allegations, which he supported by a legal team and also by uh, operation of uh, ex-detectives and so on and so forth. He alleged this, that the Duke of Edinburgh had together with MI5 and MI6, that's the secret service in this country, uh, conspired to murder the person who's probably the most popular woman in the world at the time. Uh, it was a massive uh, allegation and had to, be, it had to be investigated in absolute detail. There were 104 allegations compared to murder, and we followed that through. And then we reported three years later. And then, unlike the Warren Commission, which I think in America we've been um, made, they say, was similar to, we had to then go in front of the uh, of the coroner's court in the Royal Courts of Justice, headed by the um, Lord Chief uh, Lord Chief Justice of Appeal, and in front of a jury of 11. That lasted for six months. We were all cross-examined, in particular myself, by a very, uh, very skilled legal team. And uh, fortunately, or <laughs> the right decision we made, the jury came up with the conclusion that everything we said was correct and that the investigation uh, was justified and also was uh, justified in terms of our conclusions. 
Uh, Lord Stevens, uh, you you've obviously know as much, if not more, about this uh, case than any uh, anyone else. Is there anything new in your mind? Uh, has anything uh, come to light that changes anything whatsoever? And again, I know we'll be seeing uh, we'll be seeing it in the much anticipated um, uh, uh, docu series here and the in uh, the series coming up. But anything new at all to you, e- even if it's a perspective of looking at it? Yes, I think it's, it's vastly different from we, we've produced a report of uh, 832 pages and um, there was massive publicity around the world. But I think what you've got in this, this particular uh, documentary is the French investigation and then our investigation. And I, it's, 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 well, it's unique in terms of allowing us to talk about what we did, where we did it. The interview with Prince Charles I had to do, uh, dealing with the princes and others. And it's, it's, it's a unique kind of documentary which we decided to do because we think there's a need for transparency and people understand what the investigation was and why we came to our conclusions. Are the current heads of Scotland Yard and, uh, and the French investigators, are, are they supportive of the documentary? Yes, they are. Um, they are. We've we've uh, spoken some, and of course, there's a new head of Scotland Yard going in. He's supportive of it, uh, Sir Mark Crowley, uh, and it's something that's got to, got to take place. Uh, I'm a great believer in allowing the public to know what's happened, why it's happened, and why why we got to the same those conclusions. So that's what we'll be doing, and it it is a unique program. And I, you know, would would encourage anyone to watch it from beginning to end and then come to your own conclusions of what happened in relation to that. I think that would be really, really important. You had mentioned the Al-Fayed family and the uh, allegations, which is a, is a real big swing uh, to make an allegation like that. Again, as you said, the most popular, most famous woman in the world, and, and to, to make that allegation uh, just feeds all the conspiracy theories that, uh, that you know, would naturally come out, but, I mean, they're just fuel to the fire. Uh, what was the reaction of, of the family, of the Al-Fayed family? Are they satisfied now with this, or are they still uh, saying that, you know, this is a cover-up or there's this or whatever? What, what is their reaction? Well, it's a very good question. Mr. Al-Fayed wanted me, and it's unusual for the head of Scotland, you know, or Commissioner Metropolitan Police, to do an inquiry like this, absolutely wanted me to do the inquiry because of the experiences and the conclusions that I came to and the arrests that took place in Northern Ireland when I did a what's called Stevens 1, 2, and 3, on collusion between the paramilitary forces over there and uh, the RUC and the army. He wanted me to do it. We had very, very good relationships for three years, met him every month, and of course was treated as a person who'd lost his son. Uh, unfortunately, when it came to the conclusions, he refused to see me, uh, which was unfortunate. And uh, the, from then on, the relationship was not good. And when I gave evidence in, in the, the Royal Courts of Justice, uh, the first thing I did, he was in court, he was full of everybody in the world press. I asked him for an apology from the way he'd attacked me in terms of when he attacked me and more importantly attacked the team I was leading in relation to what we just, the conclusions we came to. And that was done at the very last minute. Up to then, over the three years, the relationships couldn't have been better. Uh, Lord Stevens, I want to congratulate uh, congratulate you not only on your most recent work, but what a career you've had, and and just I I, I can't imagine anyone doing it any better than you. Uh, thank you very much for your time here, and if you have any social media sites or websites that you could point us to, please do so. 
Thank you, Frank, and, th- and thank you for the, uh, allowing me to, to, to speak our point of view and for the interview. Thank you. Lord Stevens, thank you. To uh, everyone out there, please tune in. The Diana Investigations. Uh, once again, the Diana Investigations. Lord John Stevens, former head of Scotland Yard, has been our very special uh, guest. And, you know, wow. <laughs> Just wow. I mean, we're still talking about uh, Princess Diana. I remember the night, you know, that uh, that this happened, that this, uh, this accident was reported. And... Uh, reporters, uh, when she uh, when she was announced, when it was announced that she was dead, they said, uh, "No, she will be um, she would be made a saint at this point, you know, in public opinion, um, and she will be, uh, you know, forever uh, immortalized uh, due to the to nature of of the death here and." Um, just, just absolutely, what what a story that uh, that has gone on all of these years. Uh, Lord John Stevens, uh, once again, is uh, um, for for good reason um, brought forward here. Uh, the one thing that I have to say, and and I know this is a very unpopular uh, viewpoint, but the um, I I visited that site when I was in Paris uh, uh, at least once. I I saw the site where she crashed. And, um, you know, the limo driver was, um, uh, you know, apparently trying to get away from uh, the paparazzi and uh, Dodi Al-Fayed and, and Princess Diana un- unfortunately crashed and 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 uh, they died along with, a, you know, with others. And the one thing I thought, the one thing I thought is, and, and again, you know, I, I, it was the middle of the night when I uh, when I saw it once, you know, the site, the uh, crash site. Um, you know, years later, and I saw a family walking back to a hotel not far from where the crash had occurred, and, uh, you know, a man and a woman carrying, you know, probably a tourist, uh, but carrying their family, uh, their kids, uh, sleeping kids, to, uh, you know, I guess towards a hotel or something along those lines, and I thought, my God, if they were driving... Uh, that night, you know, or if they were walking, this particular family were walking that night, and if they would have gotten hit, and somebody said, why did that family get killed? And the answer would be because a billionaire and uh, his uh, his princess, you know, girlfriend or lady friend uh, didn't want to get their picture taken. And, and again, I'm not forgiving the... Um, uh, the paparazzi for their role in this. I mean, they're terrible in so many, uh, in so many ways, and and the privacy issue or whatever. But you know, to speed a hundred miles per hour or whatever it was in that tunnel. Um, I mean, we're lucky other people didn't die, but you know, uh, fortunately, nothing like that happened. But I, that's the only thing I thought of when I when I saw those people walking. You know, if if God forbid they got they got killed uh, because of that that accident. The, the reason they would have been killed is because a billionaire, uh, Jody, uh, Dodi Al-Fayed and Princess Diana, did not want their picture taken by paparazzi. But fortunately, nothing like that happened. But again, terrible tragedy and, uh, you know, shame on the paparazzi and, and you know, the... Uh, you know the way they they've handled uh, celebrities or whatever, but that uh, just a terrible tragedy. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on 
breaking it down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's breaking it down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Matt Frazier is our very special guest, and he is he's absolutely terrific. You've seen him on TV. His show was absolutely terrific. Um, all over E, uh, it's a, a great place to, a uh, great starting point for him. Binge watch anything you missed of a show uh, in the past. But now what we're talking about is We Never Die, and it's his new book, and it's uh, everyone's got to get it. Everyone's got to check it out. It's uh, look, it's this is a guy you always want to pay attention to what he, uh, what he does. Psychic medium Matt Frazier. Matt, how are you? Good morning. It's great to be here. Great. How are you? I, I'm terrific, and uh, very excited about the new book. If you don't mind, give us a give us a little overview. Absolutely. So I'm so excited about this as well, because this is a book that I have been wanting to write for so many years now. And in my book, it's all about what happens when we actually leave this world. You know, so many people come to me every day, Frank, and they're nervous about one thing. They're nervous about death and dying. They want to know, is there heaven? Is there an afterlife? What happens when we pass on? What happened to our loved ones that have passed on? So I wrote this book all about what happens when we transition over. And the truth is, is that we truly never die. And here's the reason why. We all have two versions of us. There's a physical version, like you're seeing, you know, every day with people walking down the street. But then deep inside, there's a version that we don't see. And that version is our soul. And that version is energy. And what happens is, is the moment that we leave this world, our body stays here. But our soul, which is energy, is what transitions on to the other side. And what's amazing is that because of that, that's the reason why we're able to live life in another world, the spirit world. It's the reason why we're able to reconnect with our friends, our family, our pets that have passed on. And it's the reason why our loved ones can be in multiple places at once, send us signs, and more importantly, be present in our life every day. And that's the reason why I wrote this book. You know, I have an uncle. In fact, I'm right outside his assisted living. I'm mobile. I'm right here now. He's 85 years old, and he's in a nice assisted living in, in West Hampton. And I tell you, if, if you think we, I expect you're younger than me, but at our age, and I'm 55, at my age, if you think we're concerned about what happens afterwards, uh, think of the folks in in assisted living. He's 85 years old. There's 90 year olds here. There's 100, year, and and you know people are thinking this is a this is a perfect book for for anyone since the beginning of time. Uh, Matt, people have been asking these questions and thinking about it. Uh, how how long was the process of you putting together the information for this book? And, uh, and and the, uh, the ultimate outcome of the book. How long did it take you from start to finish? Oh my God, it took me a little bit over a year. So what happened was, is this actually, I actually started writing this during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, it was more so now than ever that people started writing to me with questions. Matt, they would ask me, what age are we in heaven? What happens if, if we didn't meet our soulmate? You know, what happens if we're married to three people? Who are we with on the other side? What happens if we don't make it into heaven? Now, what about my pets? What if I didn't get to say goodbye? What if somebody passed tragically? You know, all these questions started pouring in, and I started answering them. And then literally I realized 
that everyone had the same questions. I started to notice a pattern that everyone was asking these questions about science, heaven, the afterlife. And I said, you know what? Instead of just answering it for these few people, what if I went and answered it for everybody? So I started to write down all of the top questions that people would ask me about heaven, the afterlife, the other side, things that people were really nervous about and scared about. And that's how my book all started. It was taking these questions, writing writing them down, putting them into answers, and then, you know, putting them into a book. And I got to tell you, it's been out for just a few days now, and so many people are writing in talking about the comfort that it brought to them. Because, you know, the sad part is, is that when we lose a loved one, it's the hardest thing we can ever go through. We all go through grief. And you can have the most faith here in this world, but the loss of a loved one can cause you to question everything. And that's why I wrote this book, to renew hope and to show people that, listen, it's there's no such thing as death. It's just a change in world. And the moment that you realize that, it's life-changing. Matt Frazier is the voice that you're hearing. Frank McKay here, so much more importantly. We Never Die is the name of the book. You can get it in hardcover right now, and uh, it, it's uh, it's getting rave reviews from all over the place. Uh, you know, People like Jenny McCarthy and uh, uh, Gloria Estefan and... Uh, Queer Eyes, uh, Karoma uh, Brown uh, are uh, big fans of Matt and uh, so many. I mean, he's got just countless fans of, of his work and what he's been able to do. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, Matt Frazier is our very special guest. Matt, uh, when you started writing this book, I'm sure you had a lot of lot of thoughts that, that ultimately went into it. Uh, what's changed in you, in your thought process, if anything, since you started writing it a year ago? So the one thing that has changed for me is to see how many people are still afraid to talk about their experiences. You know, we all have experiences with our loved ones in, in, on the other side. We all receive signs. We all sense and feel things. And I know that we all have psychic ability, psychic ability in all of us. But it's amazing to me about how many people are still afraid to talk about what they're sensing and feeling. And that's why I'm hoping that this book opens a door. You would not believe the people who write to me on, fa- on Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter, social media every day who said, Matt, you know, I wrote, I read your book and, oh, my God, I was afraid to talk about this. But this happened to me and that happened to me. And I received this sign from my loved one. And I, you know, and I felt this, this experience happen. And, you know, what I want to encourage people to do is to talk about this, to share their experiences. Because the more that we share with one another, the more that we learn and the more that we grow. I, you know, I, I had read in the past uh, uh, when when Heaven Calls and it just, uh, you know, just terrific uh, uh, book there. And, you know, this I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to read this. I, was there ever a time in your life where you uh, were concerned about what happens afterwards? I mean, as a, a small child, um, has it always been something you kind of grasped and uh, and were curious about? Uh, was there ever a fear period for you with uh, with the afterlife? No, there definitely was. When I was, a, when I was a kid, I lost my grandmother when I was really young. I mean, just three years old. And I was attached to my grandmother at the hip because my mom worked a full job. My dad was in the Navy. So growing up, my, my grandmother was literally like my mom. I was with her every day. And when I lost her, that was the hardest thing that I ever went through at just a, as, as just a little boy. And I got to tell you that, you know, that experience to me was so hard because being so young, being just a little kid, I had no idea what the concept of death or dying was. I mean, most little kids start to experience it with, you know, a pet 
or a goldfish. You know, we all know the cries and, and the pain that, you know, a child has when they lose their first pet. Imagine going through that and it being a very close family member at that age. So right then and there, you know, I had that experience of, of just being so young and going through, you know, depression as a child because of that. And luckily, I had my ability, which showed me that my grandmother was truly there. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't long after that she had passed that she would come back and visit me and I would have visitations with her. And that's what really opened my eyes, you know, to healing and to really understanding that there was more to life than this. But, you know, I can't imagine what happens when some people don't experience that. You know, there's so many people that, you know, are hurting right now because they really think that when you close your eyes, you just see black. And there's people that will tell me, Matt, you know, I, I, I just want to I want to know, you know, is there something more to this? So, you know, that's how this has changed my life is I've been through it myself and we've all have. And, you know, losing the loved ones is the hardest thing that we can ever go through. And the thing is, is that I just want to show people, listen, your loved ones are still there. And not only are they there, but there's a way that you can communicate with them. There's a way that you can talk to them. And there's a way that you can receive signs from them on the other side. It's not a permanent goodbye. And it starts here. Matt, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Matt Frazier, everyone. Uh, meet the Frasers, and I'll give you his website in, uh, in a moment. But uh, when heaven calls... Uh, it was his uh, it was his other book, uh, best-selling author of When Heaven Calls, and uh, and this one is called this one is uh, is called We Never Die. Uh, it reminds me of uh, uh, of Joel. Oh, oh my God, uh, what is Joel's name? I'm just, I'm trying to find him. If anybody knows him, uh, he uh, oh Joel Martin. My God, forgive me, Joel Martin. I had him on my TV show. I had him on. But uh, he wrote a book called We Don't Die, along with Psychic George. And it was a best-selling book, millions of copies, um, you know, from, from way back when. But Joel Martin was, um, uh, was somebody. If anybody knows him, he's from Babylon, and he's still with us. And, um, you know, he's, uh, if anybody knows how to get in touch with him. Uh, get, but We Never Die is this book. And it just kind of reminds me of that. Look, this this theme uh, goes um, goes all over, uh, you know, all over eternity, right? I mean, we've always had uh, we've always had this in our uh, in our uh, you know mind, in our subconscious, in our conscious mind. Everybody's scared stiff of uh, uh, well, everybody's scared stiff, but uh, most people uh, are very concerned about what what goes on in uh you know in in the world after we leave this particular world uh, you can go to his instagrams uh you can go to his uh you know i'm just looking trying to look oh uh meet mattfraser.com dot com is a good spot to go for him psychic medium um matt Fraser has been our very special guest we never die is the name of the book um I'm sure it would be a bestseller and you know his uh the show is Meet the Frasers. Frank McKay signing up, signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.